glad you're with us today. I hope you're enjoying our service. And one thing that I forgot to mention, if, if you're a veteran here today, we honored our veterans last Sunday, and, and we had them all, we had the veterans stand, and then we were passing out a gift, and then there was a standing ovation kind of happened, and that got, to get a little, got a little messed up. And so if you're a veteran here, if you were here Sunday or didn't, and were this Sunday, and you didn't get a gift, uh, we have one for you at the information table. We'd be glad for you to pick that up uh, right outside these doors when the service ends. We're in a series called Shadow Mission, and what we're saying is every believer has a mission and a shadow mission. The shadow mission is, is just kind of a, a dark reflection of what we really ought to be doing, and, and what we need to, to learn to do is recognize our shadow mission and kind of get rid of that so we can embrace our true mission, what our true purpose, what God's really given us to accomplish, what he's given us to do. And so we started off with the story of Esther, and we talked about that last Sunday, and we're going to finish Esther up this Sunday and move on with our series, Shadow Mission. But if you'll remember, just kind of as, as a recap, in Esther, in a small book in the Old Testament, God's name is never mentioned, which is incredible because you see God's purposes working through every page, almost every verse of the book, how we see God working, but yet his name never mentioned. And, and basically, we learned some things last week. First of all, we learned that events happen all around us, and, and events unfold that appear to be unrelated, yet God's purpose is woven through them all. And so we need to recognize that for our own life as well. And then second thing we learned is even when we experience crisis or people around us experience crisis, those are times when maybe sometimes the best time for us to live out, to embrace our true mission. In crisis, that's actually an opportunity for us to live out our true mission. And then the third truth that we learned last week was this, that as we try to get our, wrap our minds around the sovereignty of God who controls all things yet allows evil to happen as we're trying to figure all that, one thing we need to remember, and that is that God's timing is always perfect. So those are our three things we learned through the first half of the book of Esther last week. And I, I'd like to recap the story for you, uh, for those of you who... Uh, First of all, how many of you read forward, you read Esther during the week? Okay, all right, well, all right, you're going to just rely on me. Will you, I hope I get it right, all right? So anyway, here's what, here's what happened last week. What happens is, is Esther is a poor Jewish orphan girl who's raised by her cousin in a foreign country. And so she kind of has everything against her. But what, it just so happens, she's beautiful. And she ends up the queen of Xerxes, who's the most powerful man on earth, who controls an empire that stretches from India to Ethiopia. And then the first book, of the first, as Esther starts out, it's really the story about how all that happened. And then besides Esther and Xerxes, there's two other main players in the story. And that is Mordecai, 
Esther's cousin who raised her, who's kind of like a mid-level politician or representative that's hanging around the capital but doesn't know Xerxes. He's Jewish. And, and by the way, Mordecai tells Esther, don't tell anybody you're Jewish or our connection. So nobody knows anything about Esther, really. And then there's another, the fourth player is a man named Haman. He's the bad guy in the story, although King Xerxes is no prince himself. But Haman's the bad guy, and he has risen to second in the kingdom. So next to Xerxes, he's now the second most powerful man. Xerxes promoted him to that position. And because of his position, he gets a lot of honor in the city. And anywhere he goes, everyone bows. He's not the king. He's just number two. But everybody bows to him except for this one guy, Mordecai. And because of that, he hates Mordecai. Uh, and he decides that Mordecai has to go. So he decides he's going to kill Mordecai, but that's not good enough. He's the second most powerful man in the world. And he decides, I'm not only just going to kill Mordecai, I'm going to kill his entire family, and I'm going to kill his entire race, all the Jewish people. And so he comes up with this plan to, to approach Xerxes, and he basically tells him, hey, there's, there's a group of people in your kingdom that they're not really good citizens. They cause a lot of trouble. We really need to get rid of these people. And so we should make an edict you know, to, that on a certain day in the future, they can be plundered and attacked and killed and people can take all their stuff. And Xerxes says, okay. And so he does it. They make this edict that in the coming months, uh, there's a certain day in December where these people can be killed and you can just take everything they have. And that goes out by king's courier to all 127 provinces. In the meantime, Mordecai, who lives in the city of Susa, the citadel there, where the king and Haman are at, he hears about this decree. And he starts mourning, public mourning, ash, uh, sackcloth and ashes. And Esther kind of hears that Mordecai is grieving. She doesn't know why. She sends some messengers. They actually take him some clothing. And he rejects the clothing and he tells the messengers, hey, there's a decree, here's a copy of it, take this to Esther, she's got to do something. And so they take the decree, a copy of it to Esther, she reads it and realizes, oh, this is bad news for my people, but there's, and then she replies to Mordecai, there's nothing I can do. She sends a messenger back, she says, hey, you don't understand, there's nothing I can do for several reasons. Number one, it's against the law for me to go in to the king and ask for something. I, I can't even present myself for any reason. It, that's against the law. And, and the punishment for that is death. Anybody who comes to the king unsummoned, he can either kind of nod to them and point his scepter, and then they're allowed to speak. But otherwise, they're just killed. So she says, I've got a problem here. And then she says, number two, when I, if he even grants me an audience, if I talk to him and I... He's not going to like my message. My message is basically, hey, you don't know what you're doing. You did your job wrong, and you need to fix it. And by the way, you need to get rid of your chief of staff. That's not going to play out very well for a man as ruthless as King Xerxes is. We talked about how he was last Sunday. And then third problem, she says, and by the way, Mordecai, I haven't seen the king in 30 days. And she's saying, hey, the king has a full harem. He's got 127 uh, at least in his harem, or 126, you know, all the other finalists in the, 
in the Bachelor episode that, that made Esther queen. And so she's saying, this is bad news. Obviously, somebody else in the harem has his attention, and, and I'm not as exciting to him as I once was. It's not going to work. Sends all that back to Mordecai, and then Mordecai comes with the classic statement. You know, he's like, hey, and he sort of challenges. So as we work through this, here's three things that we can apply to our lives from the story of Esther, and it goes like this. First of all, we need to, un- we need to recognize the difference. We need to identify our shadow mission and our true mission in life because we all have them. We need to recognize what we're doing that we think is pretty good, but really is a pale reflection of what God, the purpose that God has given us, and actually can be a distraction from what God really wants us to accomplish. So that's the first thing. Esther does that. As Mordecai asks Esther to intervene and go, and, and she mentions all these problems, you know, he, he challenges her back. He says, Esther, don't you get it? Can't you see this is, this is your true purpose, your true mission in life? He tells her, Esther, don't you see your beauty? The fact that you, you won the prelims and in this province you were the most beautiful virgin woman around. And then you went into the, the episode of The Bachelor and then you made the last one. And finally at the very end the king handed you a rose and married you. Bam! All that happened. And he says, Esther, don't you get it? This didn't all happen just so you could live in luxury. He says this happened for such a time as this. God was working through all that to bring you to a place where you can save your people. Is how he, he challenges her. And really it's the same thing with us. Our shadow mission is what distracts us. Usually our shadow mission is all about what makes us feel good about us. But our real mission is what God has called us to. And when we embrace our real mission, when we see the difference, God shows up. Uh, Some of you are aware uh, of something kind of extraordinary that's been happening the last couple of days. I I had mentioned a few weeks ago that we lost a a couple of men in our church had passed away. and, And one of them was named Mike Rathfelder. And after Mike's passing, some of his friends in our church recognized that because he had been sick for a while, uh, that his home needed a lot of work, and he was no longer there to take care of that. And so uh, Scott Goodwin and some others started getting the, the ball rolling, and actually starting Friday, they started working on like a home makeover project. That involved over 100 people, I'm sure. They worked all day Friday, all Friday night around the clock, all day yesterday, all last night around the clock. I don't know, Scott's gotten like three hours sleep in the last three days or something. And, there's, and there, we have people working there right now. In the meantime, Amy and the boys were sent to Kalahari in Sandusky. And they are coming back this morning. They're actually going to be in the service next hour because they want to come back, do church. They know this is kind of happening. 
They wanted to do the Burger Bowl, go catch some football. They're going to hang out with some family. And then at 6 o'clock this evening, they're coming home. And there's going to be a big reveal. And so all that is happening. And I just want to point out, it's incredible to see how our community came together. I was there just for a fraction of the time. Many were about six hours yesterday. For example, I met the manager of Lowe's, a guy named Ben, who Lowe's actually partnered with us and, and uh, helped us pull this off. But we just have tons of people. I mean, there was a time I was working in a, in a bathroom with four other people. I mean, it was just that tight. And this bathroom was small. It's just amazing what God's, God's doing. So, so what I'd like to do, and there's some other organizations that were in on that. Um, Sandusky County EMS and Sandusky Township Fire Department. If you belong to either one of those organizations, would you stand? Anybody here? I know some of these people will be here next hour. Anybody like that? And how about anybody else in our church family that helped with the Rathfelder project? Would you say, I see several of you. Stand up. Yeah, we appreciate you. I can tell you they did not do that so they could stand up in church, you know. And by the way, if you see somebody nodding off today, cut them a little slack. Because it might have been they've been up the last two nights uh, working on a house. Cool stuff. We're really excited to, for the... The Rathfelders to, to be able to go home this afternoon and all that's coming together. The point simply is this. We have to identify what, what's our shadow mission for many of these people. Whatever their plans were on Friday, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday afternoon, because there's still work to be done. Although I think they're taking a break for third service. They, you know, we're all busy, right? Everybody's seen stand up. It'll be a lot more, I think, third service. Everybody's busy. But, but on some level, they probably wouldn't put it in these terms. They realize that what they were doing, that's just shadow mission stuff. That God was up to something. And so they, they responded to the call. And they made it happen. It's amazing the transformation this house has gone through. So once you find your true mission, what do you do? Once you can identify, you know, that's the first step, just figuring out what's my shadow mission, what's kind of occupying all my time. But in the, in the context of life, what's my true mission? What's God want me to be doing? What's going to make me feel uncomfortable? Because when you find that, the next step is to take action. Even though it's risky, even though it costs time, or money, even though it's uncomfortable, not something you'd normally do, you got to step up and take action. That's exactly what Esther does. You see, Esther didn't set out to be queen. It's just the way the life went. She didn't really have any say in any of this. But once she was on the throne, she had to decide if her life was going to continue to be about her living the life of luxury or was... Was her life really about something greater than herself? We all need to figure out that same thing. And so Esther, she gets it. And uh, she, she basically responds to Mordecai this way after his second challenge. And it goes like this in Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. She says, go, 
Assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will also fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. So she comes up with a plan. She says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk it. I'm going to go to the king. You guys pray for me. We'll be praying for me. At the end of the third day, I'm going to go in. And at risk to her life, she approaches the king. And she doesn't know what's going to happen. See, we know. We read the story. So we're like, hey, don't worry about it, Esther. It's all going to work out. But she doesn't know that. So she shows up vulnerable before the king, realizing that just showing up could mean her death. And he hadn't bothered to, to say boo to her in 30 days. She's his wife. He points the scepter. He grants her an audience. And she comes in. And, and Esther in her wisdom has decided not to just blurt this out. Hey, by the way, king, you, you really messed up some of the things you did here. You need to undo an irreversible edict of the law of the Medes and the Persians, which you can't really revoke those, but you need to figure out a way. And you need to go ahead and kill your chief of staff. You know, that's basically... So what she does is she says... King, if it pleases you, I would like you to come to a catered dinner tonight. You and also your number two guy, Haman, I would like to, to give you guys a dinner and, you know, and then we'll talk about it more then. He said, well, just tell me what you need. She goes, just come. And he's like, okay, we'll be there. So they do that. They make, they make plans for them to be there and uh, for the meal. And, and then Haman finds out about this. Now, Haman... He's pumped. I mean, here he, this, this never has happened before. The king and the queen are having a private meal, and Haman gets invited into that. I mean, the whole meal thing is kind of different, but just one other person, and it's Haman, and he's a guy full of pride, and he's really pumped. They do the first meal, and at the first meal, the king says, hey, what do you, what do you want, Esther? And then she says, what I want is for you to come back tomorrow for another catered, catered meal, and then I'll tell you. By now, Xerxes, you know, he's probably getting a little curious about it. She just says that's the way it's going to be, and there's nothing you can do to get her to tell her. She says, okay, yeah, we'll come back tomorrow. And, I mean, Haman is pumped. He gets out of this because he's invited to this one too. And so he's got this meal tomorrow, and he's on cloud nine, number two in the kingdom. Everybody bows to him, except for that one guy. And then everything's good, and he's been to this private meal, and he's got another one to go to, and he's boasting to all his friends. He's walking to the city to go home, and then he sees Mordecai, who doesn't bow to him. And rather than being on cloud nine like he was when he left the palace, by the time he gets home, he's enraged. And he starts venting on his wife. He says, I can't believe this. Mordecai, you know, the king's honoring me. I'm the second most powerful man in the kingdom. And I got this guy who won't bow down to me. And she's like, well, he's going to be killed soon enough. He's like, I can't wait. So she says, just build a gallows. And we live right next to the palace. Build a gallows. And then in the morning, just go to the king and tell him you want to kill this guy. You're going to hang him. And he'll, he'll let you do it. Problem solved. He likes that idea. So that day, he builds a gallows. And he's waiting for the next morning when he can go in and ask Xerxes to kill Mordecai. In the meantime, that night, as we talked about last Sunday, Xerxes can't sleep. When the king can't sleep, no one can 
sleep. So, you know, they say, hey, he says, hey, read to me. And so the attendants come in. What do you want us to read to you? Read the book about me. And so I want to hear all about me. And, and so they're reading the Persian Chronicles, and they happen to be reading about a passage, which we know by reading the story, there was a side note earlier that one time in the past, Mordecai, being a mid-level official, uncovered a plot to assassinate the king. He told Esther, Esther told the king, plot was averted. And so that story comes up in the Chronicles that night because God's timing is perfect. And then the king hears that, and he's like, wow, that's a great story. And then he asks the attendant who's reading the story. He says, well, what did we ever do for that man named Mordecai? And the attendant's like, nothing. We didn't reward him? No, we forgot all about it. So the king's pondering this. Next morning, he's had a sleepless night. He's trying to figure this all out. Well, what do I do for this guy? We, we, we kind of messed up. It's been so long. So... Haman is there bright and early because he's going to request to have Mordecai killed. The king's kind of perplexed about what he should do to honor. And so he, he asks his official, hey, anybody in the court, any of my advisors hanging around? Hey, well, Haman's here kind of early. Uh, hey, have him come in. So Haman's granted audience. He's excited. But before he can ask the question, the king asks him a question and says, Haman, what should the king do? If he wanted to honor a guy, I mean big time, in the kingdom. And Haman's like, wow, king, thanks. You know, he's like, well, you know, here I'm number two in the kingdom. You just promoted me to number two. Yesterday I had lunch with you guys. And I'm scheduled to have another meal with you today. And so Haman thinks the king's talking about him. So Haman lays it on thick as the advisor says, well, well here's what you do. I mean... Haman's already filthy rich, so he says, well, take one of your royal robes and put it on the guy, and then get your royal steed you know, out, out of the horse barn, mount the guy on it, and then get a leading official in your government to lead the horse around and cry out, this is what happens to a man that the king wants to honor. And the king loves the idea. He says, Haman, go find some guy named Mordecai and do that for him. And he's like, whoa. It's like his worst nightmare. So Haman goes. He finds Mordecai, his, his enemy. He clothes him in royalty. He mounts him on the royal steed. And he parades him, leads the horse through the city, shouting, this is what happens to a man king wants to honor. And when that's all done, he covers his head in shame and tries to sneak home. About the time he gets home, the, the people from the palace show up saying, hey, dinner time. Let's go. And so he heads to the palace. He's starting to feel a little bit better. After all, he's the only person in the kingdom that's invited to this dinner. And that's exactly when Esther makes her move. It's the second meal. That's kind of where we left off, right? But none of you read ahead, so you must already know it. But anyway, so here, here's how it goes. But she takes the risk. She makes her move. She risks her life. She's stalled long enough. For such a time as this. But before we go on with the story, I just want to 
want to point out something. It's the same with us. God has put us here for a reason. And the reason is not to glorify ourselves or make ourselves more comfortable. The reason is all about God. God has put us all here to work his purposes. And the question is, how about you? First of all, can you identify what your shadow mission is and what your true mission is? And then secondly, once you do that, God's calling you to take action, to do something. Even if it's a risk, even if it's a cost, to do it. And I'm telling you here, we see this at grace all the time. To do a service at grace, to do what we do like today, not even counting the meal and the game. I'm just saying normal church Sunday at grace. Takes around 250 volunteers. 250 volunteers to pull off one Sunday at grace. And so every week, when we see lives changed, and we see lives change every week, during the week, on the weekends, it's just a continuing process of God changing people's lives. Those 250 volunteers, they have a part in that. I mentioned at announcements that we have this need. You know, and we, we're not one of those churches that, that, you know, every other Sunday they're up there saying, well, we need volunteers, volunteers, volunteers. We do that very seldom because we have a lot of people that step up. But we're just kind of at crunch time right now. Probably the only time this year I've even mentioned this. We, we could use some help. Coaches for basketball, cheerleading, nursery help, children's workers, we could use some help. Because our church has been exploding. And maybe it's time for you to step up. Do something that's uncomfortable. Maybe even take a risk. And do something that only you and God know. Do something that costs. Play your part. Reject your shadow mission. Live for your purpose. That's what we all need to do. That's what Esther did. And why? The reason we take action and do our mission is so that we can rejoice in what God does. Third point. Identify your mission, your shadow mission. Take action on your true mission. Why? So you can rejoice in what God does. And that's what we see next in the story as God shows up. In Esther chapter 7, it kind of gives us a story. Now the king, so they come to the dinner, stage is set, we're waiting, what's going to happen? Now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen. And the king said to Esther on the second day also, as they drank their wine at the banquet, number two banquet, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done little stretch there, if she would ask for half of the kingdom, she would be done. But anyway, then Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition, 
and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent, for the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. Then King Asherus, that's King Xerxes, asked Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who would presume to do this? Right about now in this story, Haman's sweating. And Esther said, A foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. And then the king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. You know, the king was really upset. This is the only time in the story where the king leaves his wine because he's got that all the time. And and he's trying to figure all this out, right? His world has just been turned upside down. His number two guy that he promoted has passed an edict that's going to kill his queen. And so he's trying to sort all this out. His anger is churning. In the meantime, Haman's left with Esther. And so he starts begging her. He realizes his life's worth about nothing right now. So he's begging Esther. And Esther's having none of it. And he's approaching Esther closer and closer. Esther's sitting, Esther's sitting on a couch. And pretty soon he's right next to the couch, sort of on his knees or whatever before, just very close to Esther, which is not appropriate in the kingdom. And about that time when it looks really awkward... King Xerxes walks in from the garden. And he's like, whoa! You're going to molest the queen right in front of me? And they cover his head. Basically, they give him a a death sentence. He's going to be killed. Xerxes says, you're a goner. And about that time, one of the eunuchs that served the king said, "Uh, by the way, king, maybe the guy who read the story last night about Mordecai said, by the way, king, This guy built a gallows at his house in order to kill Mordecai, the same Mordecai that saved your life a few years ago. And then Xerxes says, hang Haman on it. And that's what happens. But that's not the end of the story. It continues, then Esther has to re-approach the king and say, King, it's not good enough just to kill Haman. My people are destined to be destroyed in a month. We've got to do something. You have to reverse the law. And and Xerxes says, you can't reverse, you can't revoke the irrevocable law of the Medes and the Persians. When it's done, it's done. And she says, well, how can I live when my people are destroyed? And he says, have Mordecai come. Have him draft another law. Have that sent out that will sort of neutralize the law that's been drafted. And, And so Mordecai does that. And he gets kind of creative And he drafts this law that basically says the Jewish people have the right to defend themselves. If they're attacked by anybody, they can kill them. And not only that, they can preemptively strike them. They can attack their enemies first, if that's what's required, and plunder them like they were going to plunder the Israelites. And so that goes out. And then that decree is sent out on the... On the fastest horses, you know, it's telling us that the king has to all 127 provinces... And in the meantime, there's rejoicing. We see that in Esther chapter 8, beginning in verse 15. It says, Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king. Now, Mordecai becomes the number two guy. 
in royal robes of blue and white, with a large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. For the Jews, there was light and gladness and joy and honor. See, once we identify our true mission and we can kind of reject our shadow mission, it gives us the opportunity to act, even if it costs, even if it's risky, even if it's uncomfortable. And when we act, that then allows us to rejoice at what God does. Because mysteriously, God uses his people to accomplish his purpose. Doesn't have to do it that way. That's the way God's chosen to do it. So if you're sitting here, and not everyone is, but if you're, if you're sitting here and you're a follower of Christ, God has a purpose for you. And it's probably deeper than you think. And there's a good chance, and you need to figure this out today, whether you're just kind of living on autopilot and you're doing a bunch of good things, but it's really just a shadow of your true mission. And sometimes we can do that so much that it distracts us from taking the risk, taking the action, paying the cost. It distracts us of doing what's not comfortable for God's purpose. So that's the question. Where are you? Have you done that? Identify your true mission. Act on it. And rejoice in what God does. That's what we do a lot of here at Grace. Rejoice at what God does. God has brought us here together for a reason. His church, one of his churches, filled with his people. And we're here to accomplish his purposes. And we want every single believer who's here to be a part of that. Don't miss out on what God wants for your life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you that you use people to accomplish your purposes, and many of us are your people. We're not because we deserve it, just because we've admitted how sinful we are, knowing that we need a Savior and embracing him in faith. Lord, thanks for allowing us to do that. And God, we recognize that not everybody here is, is, has come to that spot yet. And if they haven't, if they don't know where they stand with you, Father, we pray that they would see their number one purpose in life right now is to understand how they've been alienated from you, from their sin, and how you offer forgiveness through your son who paid for our sin but can only be received, that forgiveness through faith. Lord, we pray that you'd impact their hearts, that you'd draw them to yourself, that you'd turn the light on and help them to see that they need a Savior and his name is Jesus. And for those of us who already know that, by your grace, Lord, help us to not just live out our lives by rote, 
on autopilot. God, help us to dig a little deeper, pursue our purpose, embrace it, act on it, and rejoice. Thanks for bringing us together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like you to stand together. I'm going to give you just a few instructions. Um, we don't want you, we're going to serve about 15 minutes after third service starts, as I said. We want you to kind of hang out, maybe in the quad or some other place, if you're staying for the food or the game. The game is actually over at the rec. As I said, you know, behind the rec building, you'll see everybody heading there. Not that easy to miss, right behind the skate park. And you have to cross a little bridge to get there. And uh, we're looking forward for a great time. I hope you stay for the game or for the food. And then also you can remember that that reveal is 6 o'clock tonight. Amy and the boys will be here next hour. And we're going to kind of celebrate that whole deal with uh, like we've been trying to do. And uh, we're just looking for a great day. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of Grace. You're dismissed. Have a great day.